Welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful, beautiful central Oregon. Um, looked like we had hit spring, and uh, we were up in the 80s this weekend, and then yesterday, Monday, uh, everything went back cold. And it's like, who dialed that up? Who ordered that? I'm hoping that uh, by the end or by the mid- middle of this week, uh, things will start to clear up and we'll have that spring weather again. I'm hoping that you're having a good time where you're at as well. And welcome uh, to our study on the Psalms, a study that I'm just calling good, because ultimately uh, every Psalm, whether it's good or bad, times that we're going through, whether they're songs of lament or songs of praise, God is good. God is good. So I want to talk today about a Hebrew word that actually adds richness and, and depth to our faith once we understand it. it it's sad that uh, a lot of believers have no idea about the word because, well, they read English. They don't read Hebrew. The word is chesed, and I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Um, you could spell it H-E-S-E-D or C-H-E-S-E-D, which gives you that Hebrew chesed, um, the, the word uh, appears 250 times in the Old Testament alone, uh, which was written mostly in Hebrew, some Aramaic. Um, but, but a word that appears 250 times, I mean, other than the word and or the, you'd think it's pretty important. What's intriguing to me is that, um, talk about getting our attention, 127 times out of the 250, um, over half the 250 times, 127 times the word appears in the Psalms. That's pretty amazing. Now, I uh, spoke last week by saying chesed uh, basically meant love. It, that's true, but not true as well. It, it's partially true. Uh, love is a part of what chesed means. But if you try to pin down a definition of that word, you're going to find something very interesting. Uh, scholars cannot come up with one English word to translate it. The, the word is beautiful. It's like a diamond. You, you look at a diamond and you see uh, one of the beauty uh, marks of a diamond is the many facets that a diamond would have. And, and as the light hits the diamond, it, it, each facet reflects that light in a different way so it sparkles, okay? That's what chesed is, really. It's a word that sparkles. Um, it's got so many different facets, and each facet reflects the nature and the character and, the, uh, quite frankly, the actions of God uh, or the, uh, the intentions of God, I guess you could say. Um, and, and there's not just one English word, like I said, that uh, can translate chesed. So, uh, for example, in the New International Version, there's at least 12 different phrases or words that are used as their translation, uh, including in those is graciousness, loving kindness, faithful love, enduring love, benevolence, favor. It goes on and on and on. At times, it describes God's forgiveness. At, at times, it represents his tenderness. And my phone just uh, reminded me to wake up. I, I woke up a little earlier than my alarm went off. So sorry about that. Anyways, um, chesed is also a word that is said to have gravitational pull because the writers of the Old Testament, they actually would attach other Hebrew words 
to chesed to actually bring out more of the flavor. And so uh, there could be um, uh, just uh, descriptions of what God does. And and they use the word chesed, but they would use it with other other, uh, words that would describe something just slightly different. Another facet of that sparkly diamond. Hesed is the driving force in the psalm that we are studying this morning, Psalm 136. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be uh, looking through Psalm 136. This psalm is called by the Jews, the great Hallel. Now, uh, maybe you've heard the phrase Hallelujah. Yeah, Hallelujah. Hallel is the word for praise. And of course, Yah is short for Jehovah or Yehovah, the the name of God. So hallelujah means praise God, praise Yehovah. The great Hallel is this great song of praise then. And what's so cool about Psalm 136 is you see a journey through the history of God's interaction with his people. Now, it's written to lead God's people into a sense of thanksgiving for everything that he has done for them. And yet, in its antiphonal structure, which means that uh, a worship leader would say one line and then the people would respond in another line. And every time the people would speak, it was a reminder of why God did what he did. It's not just saying, hey, look what God did. It's like, yes, look what God did. And this is why he did it for them and why he continues to do it for them. So so it was really written and designed to lead God's people into a sense of wonder, a a sense of awe at the complex love of God. Now, I'm going to read the psalm, and uh, you you may want to do this as you're listening to the podcast. Uh, Once I read one of the lines, then you can respond uh, with uh, the uh, the antiphonal reading, what the congregation on Sunday is going to, to do as well. Um, so this is how it would have sounded. Uh, the worship leader would say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the people would say, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. I hoping you see, uh, the, the pattern there and you can proceed at your own pace. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Almost done. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's just, that, that's an amazing psalm. And I want to look at just a, a few of the major sections that is that is brought out, that are brought out in the psalm. First of all, we praise God because he created us. He created us, and that's in the first nine verses. The first three of those nine verses establish the person and the nature of God. He is good. He is the creator. And then the next several verses up through verse nine actually speak to the work of creation. Uh, this was a big deal to Israel, by the way. This was a fun. This was fundamental to their understanding of who they were as a people and where they had come from. You see, they had been held captive in Egypt for hundreds of years. Egypt was a place of polytheism, which means uh, uh, a belief and a trust in many different gods. So, <clears throat> surrounded by polytheism, it was important for these people. Um, who had been subjected to this belief around them above of many gods, it was important for them to have their story begin with the one true God, the maker of heaven and the earth. It's, it was important for them to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 uh, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is but one God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of everything, the creator of them. By the way, this fundamental truth is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God's invisible attributes, his divine power, and his chesed, if you would translate that into, into Hebrew, his chesed has been seen, revealed by what has been made. How? Through creation. And not just the creation of the natural world, but the creation of our, our own bodies, ourselves, our souls, our, our perceptions, our minds. He created us. He created us. And in that act of creation is demonstrated this loving kindness, this graciousness, this enduring love, this faithfulness. He created us so that he could have a relationship with us and he could bestow his loving kindness on us. Church, this is why we cannot allow the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 to be torn down. The fact of creation has been designed by God himself to draw us into a knowledge of who he is. The truth that creation didn't just happen against astronomical odds, I would add. The, the, the truth that mankind has a design, and that design was put into us by a designer. That's a fundamental truth to show us, to demonstrate to us in a very real way that we have purpose God created us with a purpose in mind. And one of that, those purposes is so that he could show us love and have a dynamic relationship with us. He wanted to bestow upon a, 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 cre a creature 
loving kindness and graciousness and enduring love and faithfulness. He wanted to display who he was. And so he created us. He did not create us because he was bored or lonely. He created us because of chesed, his steadfast love. It's a plan to actually connect with us and to relate to us, his creation. So not only did God create us, but he also cares for us. And that's the next um, seven verses from 10 to 16. The psalmist continues the story of, of God's connection with creation. Because out of all of creation, God's plan was to choose a people, a people group uh, that would descend from Abraham, by the way, who would be set apart and who would enjoy a special relationship with him. Not that they would be the only ones to have a relationship with him, but they would serve in a very special way as priests, as a, uh, as a holy nation, who would then show forth the praises of him who has called them out of darkness, who chose them to, to bring them into a relationship, a special relationship with him. You see, why did God choose the Jews? Well, he chose them so that they could serve as a beacon to show all of the other nations God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his graciousness, his chesed, right? In in verses 10 through 16, we we see the the next part of redemption story. It's the part of the story where God demonstrates great power in favor of his people, rescuing them out of their bondage in Egypt, which, by the way, would forever after represent a bondage of mankind to our sinful nature that God wants to free us from and and, and pull us out of there. This is the most repeated story in the whole Bible. Okay, God delivering his people. Whenever they were overcome, whenever they had turned their back on him, And then they cried out for mercy, for help, for rescue, for deliverance. He then would intervene, step in, and by his great might would bring them back into a relationship with him because of his chesed. We sing a a song in our church that some people have a problem with. I don't, by the way, and and I'll kind of tell you a little bit why. The song is uh, called Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. Reckless Love. Now, in fairness, the people who critique this song do so because in their minds, in their understanding, in their world, when God chose to love us, though it may not make sense to us, you, you can't call that reckless on God's part. Because reckless means without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. And to their credit, God obviously chose us, chose to love us because of the consequences of his love. He he knew exactly what he was doing. His choice was not reckless. But the writer of that song, Corey Asbury, chose to take a human perspective as we as human beings consider the lengths to which God went to, to care for us, for us that's difficult to get our heads around. For us, it at times does seem reckless. We wouldn't do this for a people that oftentimes did not deserve this. We, we know who we are. We know what we deserve and what we don't deserve. For God to have taken on flesh, to come and live among his creation, to be one of us in order for him 
to die then for our sins, to take care of the sacrifice that the law had required from back in the Old Testament. To us, that might seem reckless. To, to Corey Asbury, that seemed reckless. And so I don't mind singing that song because to our perspective, it may be reckless. But obviously to God's perspective, it wasn't reckless. It was planned. It was, it was his intention to do so. But again, I digress. What I like about this song are the words in one of the uh, the verses that, that go, when I was your foe, your love still fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. See, I love the picture that that paints. Because even when I've lived in opposition to God's will, God's love, his chesed, overcame my sin because he cares for me that much. All God's people who were living in bondage in Egypt, they, all they had to do was to cry out to him. And scripture tells us that he then heard them. And he would continue to hear them, providing for their every need as he led them not just out of Egypt, but led them through the wilderness, gave them the law, gave them uh, the manna and the quail to eat, uh, provided water for them, and eventually led them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. He protected, he provided, he cared for them. Why? Well, first of all, because he chose to, he wanted to, he loves this people, but Ultimately, though, he chose to show them that kind of love so that the world could see firsthand a a demonstration of the kind of love that God has for everyone, the the goodness of God. You you see why, again, we, we entitled this sermon series, Good. God chose the Jews, chose to show his love to the Jews so that all the surrounding nations would see how good God is. So that's the second point. He, he the, the psalm shows us that he created us, that he cared for us. But then as we read there in verses 17 through 25, as, as God's people moved into the promised land, God's chesed was there with them, helping them conquer. You see, God conquered their enemies. Uh, in verses 17 through 25, these verses speak of the great kings Sihon and Og. Now, those were just two of many, many, many kings that were overcome, that were conquered by God's people through God's power. By the way, Og and Sihon's story is found in Numbers 21, if you ever want to look that up. These verses speak of the times when the enemies of God's people pressed in around that nation as they were coming into the promised land. Um, Something that you can read about in all the books of history from Joshua and Judges through the Chronicles and the Kings and, and, and those historical books of the Old Testament. You see, yes, God brought them out of Egypt, but he wasn't done with them yet. God led them through the wilderness, but he was not done with them yet. The work, then he led them into the promised land, but still the work was not completed even though they made it into the promised land. Now, God says, now that I brought you into the land, you've got to tackle those who are going to oppose you because not everybody is going to want you in this land. God's people needed to take hold of the victory that God had led them to. He had conquered. Now they need to. They needed to go out and serve it, their role in that conquering. And at times it was a great struggle. You know, even though we may have found salvation 
through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. That doesn't mean that our life is easy. We all have an enemy who is hell-bent on our destruction. Despite our salvation, our enemy began his work in the Garden of Eden, and he and his agents have been at it ever since. Jesus, in John chapter 10, talks about those agents, the agents of the enemy, wanting to kill and steal and destroy. The Bible tells us that our enemy will wedge himself into our lives like a roaring lion looking to whom he may devour. What he's looking for is any weakness in us. He wants to use our own sinful nature, as James uh, puts it in the New Testament, our own selfish desires to tempt us away from uh, having a dynamic relationship with God. Satan is personified in these ancient Canaanite kings who stood in the way of the Israelites' move into the promised land. Those were the enemies that needed to be defeated, enemies which at first looked unbeatable. In fact, the Israelites were so afraid of these kings that a whole generation of Israelites that denied God's ability to conquer, as a result, they were denied entry into the promised land. They were not permitted to live in the land that God had promised them. God has conquered the enemy. When Jesus rose from the dead, he dealt Satan a, the, the head-crushing blow that was predicted by God back in the Garden of Eden. God conquers for us, but he conquers through us as well. See, he's promised us new life, and not just eternal life in heaven. He's promised us a new life here, a victorious life here. And there are enemies that continue to stand in our way as well. But in the name of Chesed, God promises to empower us and to have his strength work inside of us through his Holy Spirit so that we could, so that he, actually I should say, could conquer what we struggle with. Anything that prevents us from living that new resurrected life that he came to give to us. You see, Jesus told us very clearly in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, you want to conquer? Let me conquer. Let me be in you. You remain in me. I'm going to be in you and I will help you conquer. I will help you bear the fruit that God wants to see in your life um, to accomplish the things that um, God wants you to accomplish. And then he says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples, because Jesus bore much fruit. So God is at work with his chesed to conquer those things that we struggle with. As his disciples, we are given the Holy Spirit to empower us, to overcome whatever weakness, addictions, habits, whatever our sinful nature has brought into our character. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation has overcome us uh, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he's going to provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, that does not mean that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says. What it does say and what it does mean is that God's not going to give you more than he can handle as he works through you and in you as he conquers because of his said. Because where God leads, God will always empower. Because of chesed, a love, a faithfulness, a graciousness that does not set you up for failure, but patiently works through the tough times and temptations to make you stronger, like any good and loving parent would do for their child. 
that they love. So we see chesed in the way that God created us and the way he cares for us and the way that he conquers through us, our enemy. And finally, the psalmist concludes in the last verse, the confirmation of what the psalm is all about, that the chesed is everlasting. It lasts forever. Now, this characteristic seems to be crucial to Israel's understanding of God's relationship with them. Because there are times that they're going to walk away from that relationship, but they need to know that God remains faithful, that his chesed lasts forever. It's not going to be spent. It's not going to run out. You know, at the end of time, he's not going to say, oh, sorry, I I ran out of chesed about, uh, oh, I don't know, a thousand years ago. Sorry. No, his chesed lasts forever. That, that, that's the chorus of the song that, that the antiphonal reading would remind the people of. His loving kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his, his graciousness, his chesed endures forever. And not just in this song, but throughout scripture. That's the chorus that reigns out. When the Israelites strayed from following God, it was his chesed that pursued them and welcomed them back. His chesed allowed them to offer sacrifices in place of their own lives when they did fall into sin. <coughs> Excuse me. The Old Testament prophets looked into the future. They saw a deliverer who would bring the ultimate chesed to the world by serving as the sacrifice to take care of the sin problem of this world once and for all. So you could even say that as Jesus, the Messiah, appeared on the scene, his message was essentially that God's chesed has now come fully to mankind. It is now God's desire for us, then as his people, to show the same chesed to him and other people. Remember, Jesus would serve. He says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. As he washed the disciples' feet in the upper room, he told them that as he has given them this model, that they are now to serve one another in that same way. He, he mentioned that no greater love has anyone than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And, and then he went to the cross and his death bridged the gap between us and our creator because that was our greatest need. But it also served as an example for what he has called us to do, just like he called the Jews to do, to be a beacon of light to those who are still in the darkness, who need to see the goodness of God, right? Who need to understand the chesed of God that we would then take the chesed that we have experienced from God and that we would then share it with other people. As we conclude, I want to just briefly talk about another Old Testament prophet, a guy named Hosea. Hosea's story has always been one of my favorites in the Old Testament. There's something incredible about this kind of love that is actually modeled, portrayed, demonstrated in Hosea's story, in his life. And this was a real thing. God led Hosea into this radical pursuit of of love towards an unfaithful wife, a, a gal named Gomer, which, you know, Hosea gets treated so badly in the story that at least poetic justice is that uh, the, the gal that he married, her name was Gomer, you know. Anyways, his story, though, mirrors God's love for an unfaithful people. Hosea, you're going to play me in this demonstration and Gomer is going to uh, represent my people. Chesed is there in Hosea. Hosea 2.19. I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. Hosea is saying this to Gomer, by the way. And in steadfast love and in mercy, or in chesed and in mercy, I will betroth you to me forever. It is an amazing love story. And it's so different than the ones that we see in our culture today. God's telling Hosea to take a wife who is bent on unfaithfulness, adultery, in order to demonstrate what Israel was doing to him. That would have been an incredibly hard thing for Hosea to do, I would imagine. But Hosea was obedient. He married Gomer. She kept running out on him. They had three kids, two of which were probably not even Hosea's. And yet he was told to buy her back, to bring her back, and to love her. Man, if, if... Something like this happened to you or me in this world today. I'm I'm sure our friends would be telling us to cut bait, get rid of the baggage. Um, We deserve better. But here's, here's the deal. God says, I want you to reflect me, not the world's culture, Hosea. So as Gomer ran off once again, God says to Hosea, go buy her back. Go redeem her. Go bring her back as your wife and love her, chesed. With the uh, just as the Lord Chesed loves the children of Israel, although they turn to other gods, that makes no sense to our world. It goes against human nature to love like that, and yet this is exactly the picture of Chesed. By the end of Hosea's story, you get the sense that Gomer had been changed because she experienced somebody being faithful and enduring uh, in in his love for her. When God bought us back, he calls us to be different as well. Our identity must change. We are called to reflect to others the same kind of loving kindness that we ourselves received. When we become like him, then the ones that we touch can understand God's love for them. And they might be then drawn into a life-transforming relationship with the one who also loves them with an everlasting chesed. All right. Well, that was the uh, sermon for this week. God bless you guys. I I thank you so much for uh, paying attention and tuning in each week and listening. I I pray that there is uh, some inspiration and some um, depth to this teaching in in your life, that uh, it draws you closer into a deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to thank Lisa Welly and and, um, Steve Pittman, those who make this podcast possible. I, I just have to talk. Uh, I I don't do anything but talk. And those guys are the ones that, uh, especially Lisa, um, really shoulders a lot of the the burden to get this up on the the podcast. So thank you guys. And thank you to the audience. Uh, Again, if you ever find yourself in Central Oregon on a weekend, come come visit us. Let let us know that you are, um, uh, that you listen. Uh, If you want to ever shoot me an email and ask questions or just give me a comment, uh, something that you find troubling or, or disagree with or whatever, uh, Trey, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C, which stands for Powell Butte Christian Church, Trey dot P-B-C-C at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>